Good morning. My name's Andrew. I'm a member of staff here. I uh, just want to add my welcome to that Avians, if it's your first time especially. Uh, really great to have you with us. If it's your first time back after a while away, welcome back. Um, we're starting a new series today through 1 Peter, and as you can see, it's entitled Through Suffering to Glory. And I just wanted to start today by asking you a question. What is your expectation of the Christian life? Um, what is your expectation of the experience of following Jesus. And here's why I ask it. Uh, so often, what can happen in, in our life generally, but in our Christian life in particular, is that there is a massive, massive gap between um, the expectations that we have and the reality that we experience. And so often, the disappointment and disillusionment comes because we do not have a grounding in a realistic expectation of what following Jesus actually means. And what Peter is going to do, or God through Peter is going to do in this series, is help us to recalibrate our expectations so that we can see, perhaps it might be a little bit harder following Jesus than we expected, but it's so much better than we might have ever imagined. And Peter is an excellent guide for us. Because you might remember, Peter had um, an experience with the Lord Jesus where he said to Jesus what the Messiah life was meant to be. So Peter got the nudge from the other disciples and he was the one told, yeah, you, you stand up, mate, and, and you say who Jesus is. And Peter stands up and says, you are the Messiah. And Jesus says, good on you, good on you Peter, that's right. And let me tell you what that means. It means that the Messiah has come to suffer and to die and then to rise again. And Peter says, Jesus, you got rocks in your head. That's not the Messiah life. And then there was a bigger moment still when Peter had this experience of his massive expectations of the Messiah and the crushing reality. Because Peter was there when Jesus was arrested and tried and tortured and crucified. And it was as if Peter was kind of going, that. That, that, that's not the Messiah life. <laughs> that's not my expectation of the Messiah. Now, something has happened so that Peter has done a complete 180. <laughs> He's able to say, guess what? The Christian life looks like understanding that we are living here as Christian people kind of like exiles in this world. But that's okay because our understanding is based on God's promise of mercy that's now come in the risen Lord Jesus. That means even though we experience present suffering, because we're following the suffering Messiah who rose to glory, that's where we're headed. <laughs> and so in this series, we've got an excellent opportunity to recalibrate our expectations so that our thoughts and our lives actually match up with following the suffering Servant King who has risen to glory to take us there with him. So would you please pray with me as we start down this track that that would be the case. Please join me and let's talk to God. Father, we're so thankful that you've given us, through your mercy, new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Please help us to see that the pattern of Jesus' life 
of obedience that led to suffering and to risen glory is also going to be ours. It might be harder than we expect, but it's going to be better than we understand. And so please grow us in that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first point I want to make is elect exiles. Um, I don't know about you, but just kind of uh, starting off in reading this letter, it's quite striking that these two things can be put side by side. But Peter, with all of Jesus' authority, because he's an apostle, he's a sent one of Jesus, is able to say that you are favoured by God, but out of place in this world. Have a look at verse 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So in biblical terms, if God's people um, are being described as being in exile, especially in the Old Testament, it's a very, very bad thing (laughs) because it's come about through God's judgment, which he promised for sin. But here, Peter says, it's actually a sign of God's blessing because heaven is their home, and that means living on earth, they live as strangers in a strange land. And I want to give some examples of my experience of that in a moment. But just to set us back into the context, I wanted to read what Andrew Vella has prepared in the life group booklets. Um, You might not be part of a life group. I want to encourage you to get into one. But um, if you haven't picked up the booklet yet, please do so. Um, Really, really helpful. And I just want to read a couple of sentences from what Andrew has prepared to just put us into the context of why Peter's saying what he says to these people. The Apostle Peter most likely wrote this short letter in Rome one or two years before his execution around 64 AD under Nero. Most likely when Peter wrote this letter, Nero's persecution of Christians had not yet commenced. Instead, the recipients of the letter may have been part of the Jewish and Christian community that was expelled from Rome under the decree of Emperor Claudius around 49 AD. Peter sought to encourage and strengthen them amidst their trials and challenges. The letter tells the believers who they are under God so they know who they are to be in society. And Peter says, you're elect, you're chosen by God, exiles. So just a couple of experiences of mine of this kind of thing. I remember when I was 14, I went to Japan and at Tokyo Airport, there were two ways for anyone getting off planes to kind of enter through customs. Um, One was for the uh, Japanese people and one was for the aliens. (laughs) So that was the translation of the Japanese and I thought to myself, I'm not an alien. But nonetheless, I had to walk um, through that customs entrance. And in Italy for 11 years, I kind of got used to that idea because any non-Italian is called a stranger, straniero. And um, it grates. It absolutely grates. Um, You're not from around here. You're not from around here. Um, I've mentioned another uh, a brother in Christ that I got to know in Italy before, a guy called Gaston. He was from the Ivory Coast and he was a genuine exile because he'd been forced to leave the Ivory Coast as a political and um, a religious exile for being a Christian and a Christian pastor um, in a particular period of the Ivory Coast's history. And it was, it was kind of painful, I think, to watch him because he just so longed to be back in his country. Um, but it was so encouraging to observe Gaston as well over time because he had a greater priority of the kingdom of God coming in his country than uh, just being back there as a national. 
But what Peter's saying is where they are currently is not God's final destination for them, yet God's purpose is fully on track for them, even as they feel this way. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I absolutely do feel this way as a a follower of the Lord Jesus. I feel like this, uh, it's not right. (laughs) I I feel like in this world I don't belong. I'm glad to be here, happy happy to be in the place that God's put me. But because of knowing the Lord Jesus, I would rather be elsewhere. Um, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit uh, further down, but it's, it can be a torture sometimes, I find, mentally and spiritually, uh, just finding myself between two worlds. But Peter is kind of happy to say, with great confidence and um, reassurance, actually, no, don't stress. Everything is on track. And the, the major foundation for him being able to have that confidence and say these things is God's past mercy the promise of that, which has now come true in the Lord Jesus and is true in their experience. So he says that their identity as exiles is not because of geographic dislocation, even though they are spread out now away from Jerusalem, but it's because of spiritual regeneration. And that's a really, really excellent thing. So do you want to have a look at verses 2 and 3? And then I'm going to skip down to read from verse 10. This is 1 Peter chapter 1 from verse 2, and he's addressed them already as God's elect exiles who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. So I said before that their identity as exiles is not because of geographic dislocation, but because of spiritual regeneration. And it's so full on and it's so certain. Um, It's been done by each member of the Trinity. Did you notice that? The Father knew he would choose them. Not that he knew that they would choose him. Uh-uh. No, no. The Spirit has washed them clean of sin. It's gone. They're holy now. And why? Well, because of Jesus Christ's blood that atoned for them. And he, he is now their Lord. They've got an obedience to him. It's awesome. This is God's mercy, promised in the past. And I'm kind of noticing a little bit of a bookend in verses 10, 11, and 12, right? Because Peter's saying, God had this foreknowledge, and he's done this choosing. He did the predicting and the foretelling through the prophets, okay? And what they foresaw was the suffering Messiah who was going to come, but they also realized what they were speaking about was the salvation of the people that Peter's addressing, and us. It's, it's, it's awesome. Speaking the gospel. 
And this is the gospel that was foretold. Have a look in verse 3. I'm going to read it slowly. It's so good. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Um, That's why he can say, grace and peace be yours in abundance, because what God has done has been accomplished. What God has promised, it's come true. So just a little bit of a footnote about um, the whole business of God's choosing and predestining. Okay, First thing to note is Peter has no problem with it. None whatsoever. But the second thing I want to want to note, and I'd be glad to talk with you further about this afterwards. The second thing to note is Peter sees that this is the grounds of assurance because God's promised it. He's done it. You can believe it and it's done. <laughs> okay, it's so good. So good because we're not left thinking, well, is it 50% me and 50% God? Oh, is it, am I, can I really be guaranteed that I can be saved? Peter's like, that is not even his question, right? Not his discussion. God has said it, it's come true, you can believe it, it's all done, praise him. That's, we can be confident too for that reason. But also just to note here, the, the, the very, very significant grounds for Peter's confidence is this, Jesus is risen from the dead. We've been given new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So Peter himself was not only there actually as a witness to Jesus' life, as a witness to Jesus' death, but he was one of those who went to visit the empty tomb. That's the only reason that he starts to open his mouth to say anything of this. Okay, The only reason the tomb is empty. Can't find the body. Oh yes, we can find the body actually. Jesus is alive. <laughs> He is the risen Lord. So this mercy of God that was promised has come true, and it's come true in Christ, it's come true in them, and it's come true in you if you are a believer of Jesus. Hallelujah. So wonderful, isn't it? This this struck me, I think, studying this passage, like I said before. This arc of God's knowing and his choosing, his promising, his speaking, his bringing it to pass in the Lord Jesus, going out to these believers who are now scattered everywhere, but it comes to us. And so the scripture that is here that has been written down 2,000 years ago is actually including us because what they foresaw was the people who are going to believe the gospel. That includes you if you're believing Jesus. It's awesome. God at work in real time. Ours. So great. But it's no wonder they feel exiled. Right? If you're taking seriously what's being said in verse 3, and if you, like me, are trusting the Lord Jesus and you know the Spirit's work in your life, you're alive in a world that is dead without Christ. It's awful. It's awful. It's not, it's, it, it's, not, it's not an easy thing to live with, I think, especially when we're conscious of it. Heaven is home. So just a, a, a reflection before I go on, I guess as a point of application, we just do need to be clear, don't we, if we're, if we're taking God at his word in verse 3, that without Christ, people are dead. Okay, they don't have the new birth and they don't have the resurrected life. Um, and, and God's very clear about that. But at the same time, we can have new birth. We can have forgiveness with God the Father through the Son by the Spirit if we trust in the Lord Jesus. And so let's do that. There's the exhortation. 
Um, there's every reason to do that. And Peter's the guy who's done the 180 and he's preaching and God's using him to preach to us even now because his past mercy still applies in our present. So the next point I want to make is um, present suffering. And again, the, there are some amazing things that Peter puts together, right? You know, <laughs> elect exiles, chosen, new life, resurrection, suffering. Really? Can these things go together? And again, we're just trying to reflect on what is our expectation of the Christian life? <laughs> what do you expect? Um, and remember, our, our troubles can come because our expectations are, are wrong and they're so large, but the reality seems to be so different. And we're left asking ourselves, well, what is God really like? Now, Jesus' resurrection changes eternity, but it also impacts present living. Because the pattern of Christ's life, suffering to glory, is also the pattern of the Christian life, suffering to glory. Have a look at verse 6, and I'll also read verses 8 and 9. 1 Peter 1, verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice. And he's just really referring to it back to the good news of Jesus, um, this inheritance that they have in heaven that can't perish or spoil or fade. Though now... For a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. In verse 8 and 9, though you've not seen him. And again, he's putting these two things together, right? Suffering. You've got Jesus. You've got new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You've got suffering and grief in trials. But at the same time, though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Why? You're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So here we have living with tension. On the one hand, suffering grief in all kinds of trials. On the other, being filled with an inexpressible joy that comes by trusting Christ and having salvation in him. So I think others in, in future weeks are going to talk more specifically about suffering because Peter kind of is a little bit more specific as he goes on about what that might mean. Um, but I think briefly what I wanted to deal with was the thing I've already mentioned, the suffering that comes in our minds, but the suffering that we can experience. And what I'm going to talk about there is the suffering that we can experience often when we are seeking to follow Jesus and to be more like him. Okay, but the first thing, the suffering in our mind, the way I've reflected on it is this. It can feel like we, had a, we have our heads in heaven and our feet in hell. It's awful, like I mentioned before, because we do, our eyes have been opened. We realise that there is a new birth. We realise that there is a living hope. We realise that not just there is a world beyond our own, but actually the door's been opened to it. And Jesus says, come through it, because I've opened it and I'm offering you the gift. And, and we have walked through it. And we realise this is so great. What am I still doing here? <laughs> Why is all this happening? Maybe even to me today. And it's just awful. Just awful. And there is a reason for that anguish. It's just, there's just a very real reason for that anguish. <laughs> because our heads and our spirits and our minds are in heaven and it feels like our feet are in hell. We know that perfection, but we're confronted by sin. <laughs> so if you feel that, there's a reason, actually. That, that some of that suffering can be mental suffering and it's spiritual. But 
suffering can come in, in just in the reality of our living out, can't it? Our, the living out of our following Jesus. Because godly, Christ-directed living will bring opposition. Could you please turn with me just to the next page? It should be there in your Bible, or if you need to swipe up. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 to 23. And it's there as Peter remembers the life and the example of Jesus, we understand why suffering is going to come and where it will come from if we are following him. So I'm reading from partway through verse 20. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. That sounds fantastic, doesn't it? So great. Now look, let's listen to where that got him. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And let's read verse 24. Here's the end result. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So we see uh, Peter's reflecting on the fact that as Jesus kept his eyes on the Father and kept doing the will of God, for God's glory in that obedience and our salvation, it absolutely brought him into conflict with the world, with people around him who were continuing to say, no, you've got it wrong. You've got it wrong about yourself. You've got it wrong about God. You've got it wrong about how people should live. <laughs> and not only, not only are we going to keep saying that to you, but we are going to kill you to show you that there is a power that's higher than yours. So should we expect it to be any different if we're actually following the Lord Jesus and pressing him in to be more like him? Peter's answer is no, <laughs> no. But remember, this is the guy who said, Jesus, it's not that way. He's not saying that anymore. He's saying, no, oh, it looks like the Christ way of suffering to glory is the way, is the way. And it's true. Romans 8 15 to 18. Let me read that for you. Romans chapter 8, 15 to 18. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. How great is that? An intimate relationship with God. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Excellent. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But here's the challenge for us, right? Um, so potentially you've come from a church in the past or you've had, you've had an experience where um, you were told that the more you trusted Jesus, the bigger the blessing. The more you trusted Jesus, the less trouble you would have the more you trusted Jesus, the, the Teflon life would just increase. <laughs> okay? And if we want to put a label on that, it's just it's prosperity preaching. You don't find it in the Bible, actually. <laughs> You're certainly not going to find it here in 1 Peter. But you might have been exposed to that. And this is a challenge to you. 
So again, the expectations and the reality just don't match up. Because basically what you've been told is a lie. <laughs> again, if you press into the Father as you follow the Son, with the Spirit's help, you'll actually be enduring more suffering, <laughs> not less. The anguish will increase, but so will the joy. And we'll, te- we'll talk about that in a moment. But, but that's a challenge to you if that's been your thinking. The second reflection I wanted to make here was that Sometimes we can fall into a trap of thinking, my faith is small and weak, therefore I'm suffering. I'm kind of being punished because I don't have enough faith. There's nothing in this passage to suggest that. Nothing. And there's nothing in the Bible that says, actually, you've got a small faith, therefore you're going to suffer more. Well, the bigger your faith, the less you will suffer. It doesn't work like that. In fact, the more your faith is refined and you understand the preciousness of Jesus and you want to keep following him more, like I said before, the troubles will come. They will come. And Peter actually is reassuring us and reassuring them to say, don't freak out. This is how it works. But you just might need to check in on your thinking. Do I feel like I'm being punished because I don't have enough faith? It's not biblical thinking. At all. Verse 3 is very easy to read, isn't it? So easy to read. We've got new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But that new birth cost Jesus his life. (laughs) Getting rid of sin, saying yes to the Father, and giving birth to the salvation of millions. Wow, so good. But the Christian life is going to follow that trajectory. And Peter sees no problem with that present suffering. So we need to recalibrate and check in on our own expectations. And Peter goes on, actually, because his confidence comes from his absolute certainty that there is future glory that awaits. Okay, Like I said, the pattern of the Christian life follows Jesus' life. So the future is glorious. Have a read with me from verse 4. This new birth into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So how cool to hear the inheritance is kept. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you're actually shielded by God's power. Um, the, The salvation is coming. It's absolutely there. And then if you look just at the end of verse 7, you will see that what awaits is through actually carrying on and persevering glory, praise and honour to the Lord Jesus. But I think it's also receiving that glory and that praise and that honour as well. I think it's both. You've got the now and the not yet. Fully saved, yep. But is that really still to be fully realised? Yes. But we're living in this tension. We're stuck. I just wanted to kind of reflect on just one of those things that said the inheritance and what that means. Um, I've been in conversations uh, more than once with people who who are talking to me about the fact that their kids are talking to them about the inheritance. And so what do I do about this? And and my advice has been this. Look, do you actually understand the severity of this conversation? First of all, they want you dead. But the second thing is, it's not theirs yet, right? It's not theirs yet. Um, And you shouldn't even be thinking that it is theirs, right? So you carry on. Of course, if you want to be generous to them, you want to make some plans to pass something on, great. 
But don't wish yourself into the grave. Let them wait, right? Because the way it works is that an inheritance will come to the heirs once the person has died. So the beauty of what's being said here is that on the basis of Jesus' death and his resurrection, we are already heirs. It's already ours by faith in him. And so... Be encouraged. If you are trusting the Lord Jesus, you are the heir of God's riches. That inheritance is yours. It's waiting in heaven. It will come. And Jesus, actually, resurrection is the guarantee that your future looks exactly like his with him. So it brings us to actually live with eyes wide open, okay? Eyes wide open. The now and the not yet. But with the anticipation, actually, that as we're we're in this tension there will be increasing joy. We, we had a good conversation about this on Monday night in our life group, um, just considering or asking ourselves the question, what is it that brings us joy? Because again, I, I think there is a big gap between our understanding, which is not always biblically informed about what, what brings joy or happiness or contentment and what the Bible's actually talking about. Because Peter's able to say to them, yeah, you're getting hammered. And it, it, it could get worse. But wow, the joy. He's talking about the certainty of salvation. It cannot be taken away from them. And it cannot be taken away from you. And Jesus knew for the joy set before him, he would endure the cross. And praise God that he did. So great. So Peter is basically saying, no, no, it's a done deal, but it's, it's, it's still future. So don't be thinking that the fullness of heaven needs to come on earth. No, no. The fullness of heaven will come in heaven, but we can experience the joy of heaven on earth. So here's my, here's my last point, genuine faith. Um, this plan of God has a purifying purpose to refine people's understanding of just how beautiful Jesus is and how much he needs to be trusted no matter what. Because he alone is trustworthy. And I'm just thinking here of verses 6 and 7. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Who would, ever, who would ever want to put themselves in the fire? <laughs> but again, it's one of these kind of crazy things that seem, that seem to be at odds with each other, but they go, go together. God has promised this, it's come to pass, and the very thing that you're experiencing, this suffering while following Jesus, the Saviour, the Victor, these two things go together and they work for his glory, but also your good. It's like finding, finding ourselves, if I can put it this way, like in one of those tumblers um, that are used to kind of polish um, precious stones or to uh, bring silver up to a polish, right? Um, my wife has one of these things. Um, put the emulsion in there, you put the ball bearings in there, and then you chuck everything else in and you flick the switch and you walk away. A couple of hours later, you come back and these things are transformed. Um, it, you know, probably not, not so much fun for the, the, the jewellery and the stones, but it's a beautiful result, right? That's what is being talked about here. And I don't know about you, but 
when I find myself in, in sometimes in, in these moments of deep difficulty, it just keeps, it causes me to ask the question, who am I trusting? Who am I trusting? What do I come back to? And it's, it, it's great, but it's very, very painful because it's like, oh, not again, Lord. I'm, I'm exposed again. And my heart has been in a different place. I have not been trusting the Lord Jesus. I've been putting something else in his place. Um, and let me just read for you a couple of paragraphs from Steve McAlpine. We've kind of recommended this book along the way. Um, excellent book just to be considering what it means to be Christian in our contemporary kind of situation. But effectively, he's asking the question, what should Christians expect? And so I think it's a good companion reader for our series. And so let me just read you a couple of things that he says. Peter, chastened as he was by his own failure to accept suffering on the way to Calvary, states, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. The suffering that his readers are experiencing is not punishment for sin, but rather the purifying process that all of God's people undergo. The struggles we are experiencing as the culture turns against us are an opportunity for God to refine us, both individually and as a church, in order to bring glory to God through our joyful obedience in the midst of suffering. Amen, as hard as that is. But then he, a little bit further on, he talks about um, what informs us kind of in moments of suffering and difficulty, and he talks about it like this. Um, I recently watched the Julie Andrews classic, The Sound of Music, for research purposes, of course. <laughs> when the abbess starts singing to an unhappy and uncertain Maria about what she should do, most viewers don't even blink. We never question that the leader of a cloistered order, married to Christ, in pre-war Europe, would suggest that the path to true life is to climb every mountain, ford every stream, follow every rainbow till you find your dream. A dream that will need all the love you can give every day of your life for as long as you live. Of course the abbess should say that. Why shouldn't she? Here's why not. <laughs> because the Christian faith is not simply concerned with finding love in this life, or indeed with finding anything in this life. It is about finding life after this life ends. That's what a real-life abbess would say. The Sound of Music is a Hollywood movie marinated in the self-fulfillment now narrative that Tinseltown has been producing for a century. But it brings us back to the question about us, right? And I kind of started this morning by saying, well, what's your expectation? How's your reality? And how are you going in the gap if indeed your expectation is not informed by the Bible? And that's what Peter is ripping us back to as he encourages these people, these Christians who are, who are being challenged and probably and will be more so in the future. So just a couple of... Uh, a couple of reflections, or maybe these are some of the scenarios that you might find yourself in. When I got my diagnosis, was it the moment when I realised that I'd been actually saying, new birth into a living hope comes through good health? Or when there's been trouble in your family, did you realise perhaps deep in that moment, that you found yourself having really in your heart that you were saying, uh, new birth into a living hope comes through my family just being great, being okay, or my kids working out, or my kids coming to faith. When um, perhaps the, the children have not been easy to have, have you found yourself realising that, uh, okay, I, 
maybe I was thinking that new birth into a living hope came through our children. Or when you found yourself in the middle of ministry disaster, <laughs> have you found yourself saying, ah, yes, that's right, I don't want to know this, but I think I was saying that new birth into a living hope came through my ministry success and other people thinking that I was pretty great. <laughs> yeah. And so what I want to encourage you to, you to consider is if you're being faced with some of these things, it's an excellent opportunity that the Lord might be giving you to just check in on your heart and recalibrating, okay? Um, because when we see that in his mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that can never go away. Uh, there is nothing better than that. And that we need to recalibrate our hearts and our hopes in line with that alone. Um, because that's a foundation that just can, will never shift. And that's what God is going to give us the chance to do um, through 1 Peter. And in particular, be caught up in the praise, his praise, and uh, the, looking forward to the praise and honour and glory that comes for those who trust Jesus. It's so good, isn't it? And we want to rejoice in that. So Peter himself, um, he'd been through this process of saying, no, no, the Messiah life is this, and then saying, no, no, the Messiah life really is that. And so what Peter wants to say to them and to us is the Christian life, whatever you might have been thinking about it, it's really this. And it's so much more eternal and so much better, even though it might be harder than you have anticipated it would be. Let's pray and ask for God's help, actually, to keep treading into the steps of Jesus. Father, we thank you so much that you've given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We're so thankful, Lord God, that you turned Peter around to preach to them and to us that there is nothing that can take away eternity with you when we trust in Jesus who is risen. So please help us, Lord God, even today as we have to recalibrate our hearts, help us to see what our expectations have been and what they've been based on, but help them to be reset on the foundation of the risen Jesus. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.